1: Welcome to episode 41 of The Hilo, the weekly news and pop culture podcast brought to you by journalists Dolly Alderton and Pandora Sykes, and happy
0: 2018. Happy 2018! Did you have a good New Year? I had a lovely New Year. Did you have a nice New Year? I did have a lovely New Year, but I had to get on a flight from Gatwick at 7am the next morning, which was pretty dicey, and also leads me on to my first book recommendation. I had to buy a book at Gatwick because my friend Sabrina and I, I'm not just going to incriminate her, were so pissed when i when i packed that i packed a suitcase that was completely useless with like four workout leggings
1: no training.
0: packing until new year's eve because i was shucking oysters and deviling eggs and baking potatoes that no one fucking eats because no one eats at parties and they're getting drunk and i'm never ever gonna realize that That's, is that really 80s what are deviled eggs 80s. yeah yeah they're, they're pretty 80s they're having a bit of a comeback though because of nigella Dear old Nigella I did thought you were going to say they haven't come back because of you. <laughs> because of my Instagram post, uh, reports of egg sales have gone through the roof. Um, so, what book did you buy me? the Apple? So, I had to buy a book in the airport because I forgot to pack any books. I bought The Life Changing Magic of Not Giving a Fuck.
1: Oh, by Sarah, what's her name? There's by another Sarah one Knight. as well. There's a follow up to that. Is there? The Life Changing Magic of. Me? It's something, I don't think it's got fuck in it.
0: I've got now, it somewhere. Look, I don't want to clutch my pearls about this. It's a little bit too sweary for me. Oh my God, Dolly! It's a little bit too much swearing. I have to say, have you read it? Uh, I think I've read bits of it, yeah. did really well. I like a swear word, but the problem is is that she's, she's very funny, the writer. So the book is called How to Stop Spending Time You Don't Have Doing Things You Don't Want to Do with People You Don't Like. Very useful for you. Very useful for me, because as... All my best friends, including Pandora, know I spend my life doing shit I don't want to do for people I don't like that much.
1: <laughs> so, what, so what's your takeaway to so the book? Like,
0: it's about how to stop people pleasing, basically, how to grow a backbone. This word is bandied around too much, but as you get older, you realise the most as the title says, magic you can feel, is when you feel like you're being truly authentic. Oh, authentic. I thought the word you might use is hackneyed. No. Oh, God, we've got a lot of tweets from people saying that there's a high-low drinking Did we game. we have one tweet? Oh, I got a few. <laughs> high-low drinking game where you take a drink every time we say hackneyed.
1: What was the other word that we use a lot? That
0: reductive.
1: No, no, it wasn't reductive. It wasn't reductive. We also got a tweet about... Um, 2017 can be divided into two halves. One when we
0: said... Pressis and the second <laughs> half when we said Pracy. <laughs> That's funny, actually. Thank you for growing with us. <laughs> I didn't read that. That's funny. Anyone who suffers from people-pleasing, that I think is a lot of people, a lot of women in particular, it's a fun, useful book. So that was basically the only uh, book that I read on holiday. Thank you, Gatwick Airport. What else did you enjoy over the pretty long festive break? Pandora said she felt like she retired. <laughs> I... Uh, watched the new series well. I've got two episodes left, but I've watched most of the new series of Black Mirror.
1: Ah, oh, yes. Have I've you watched, watched a few, any of it? No, I've watched a few Black Mirrors in my time, and the one that always sticks out to me is the one about social media. With um, which ones? That? Uh, I think it's Bryce Dallas Howard in it. It was pro- po- possibly the series before last, right? Where she's taking a picture. Ah, oh, that everything. was great. Like that yeah. One. yeah, But I'm not. I'm not a habitual Black Mirror watcher.
0: Yeah. What's the new series like? Mm, I'm a bit disappointed, actually. Do you think it's right? I think you nodding. Were... Do you know what I think... Because it's dystopian, depressing, futuristic, right? That's mm. a shtick. Mm. What well, series is it on? Do you know it's fourth series? Something that I've noticed this time, actually, I didn't notice it, full credit to my friend Jack, who texted it to me and I decided to pass it off as my own theory, is this series feels quite conservative. It feels like it's quite... Judgmental. the take home of it is quite judgmental um, with that kind of voice of doom which didn't sit as comfortably comfortably with me and also, and Charlie Brooker is the most phenomenal writer. I don't know how he's written so many series of Black Mirror and created these incredible worlds. I really think he's a magician so I hope this doesn't sound dismissive. I do think that the formula of them has become quite repetitive which is normally... There's a dual life happening in a virtual world and at the 11th hour you find out that these this duality exists. kind of feels like every single episode, that's what the formula is now. But I would say the two standout episodes, an episode called Crocodile, which is about an insurance company that has a memory machine. So it plugs into people's minds and it can capture their memories to build a picture of the truth around an accident and it is such a good okay i'll go watch that one really dark but really good and the other one that's good is hang the dj which is a bit like the san junipero of the last series that has a kind of lovely hopeful ending which is all about online dating and dating apps and it was a really good episode
1: what channel is it on for netflix oh bloody netflix i want to use my new telly
0: getting was in fire stick
1: oh yeah I think I have one you do have one I know we're back here again we're back here let's not
0: it's like trying to work out Audible all over again (laughs) I also watched Jim and Andy The Great Beyond have you heard about this documentary yes I have
1: heard about it but I haven't seen it Jim Carrey yeah but lots of divided divided opinions about whether Jim Carrey's a dickhead or not
0: yeah yeah yeah. Sorry,
1: I know you don't like swearing now. No. Um, a,
0: nasty, a nasty man or not, not as nice as he could be? Look, I fucking love swearing. It was just not an excess. Okay. Um, Jim Carey narrates it as a talking head documentary and it's looking retrospectively back on a film that was made 20 years ago about a comedian from the 60s and 70s called Andy Kaufman who was a kind of stunty, off-the-wall, again, sorry, I hope I'm not being reductive here, I, I wasn't that familiar with his work before I watched the film, quite a kind of unusual character and Jim Carrey went into full method acting to play him when they shot the film Man on the Moon and someone recorded footage behind the scenes as they filmed the movie and it's basically Jim Carrey making life as difficult, ostensibly as difficult as possible for the director and the crew I wonder
1: why he okayed that being
0: filmed released as a documentary because it's f- fucking fascinating because he truly believes Jim Carrey truly believes that the day that he got the job to play Andy Kaufman he was looking out on the beach in from Malibu and that he summoned he spoke to Andy Kaufman and that suddenly some dolphins came towards so him so quite dotty he heard yeah he heard Andy Kaufman say you're not doing this I'm doing this film so he truly believed he's inhabited by yeah, Andy Cuff. yeah but here's something even Zania, I kind of understood Jim Carrey's logic throughout it I found it a very moving film and it's not just about his method acting and the kind of highs and lows of that and the pros and huge cons of that it's about and you see like Danny DeVito's in the film and it's all shots of him like rolling Did his eyes you see The Man on the Moon in the first No place. I now want to see the film but it's like Danny DeVito rolling his eyes while Jim Carrey's like smashing up the buffet cart for the crew Is this
1: on Netflix as well?
0: Uh, yeah it's Netflix it, It's a fascinating You and CJ have had
1: similar Netflix binging I know Charlie's
0: nodding to everything but it's also Jim Carrey it goes into the history of kind of Jim Carrey as a young actor. It's it's really interesting. So if anyone watched that, I'd be fascinated to hear your thoughts on it because I have the more unusual take on it, I think. Finally, I'd like to recommend Ramesh Ranganathan on Adam Buxton's podcast. Did you watch him over Christmas? He had a sort of live at the Apollo thing. No, only because I hate watching comedians do hour-long specials on TV.
1: So that's a personal bias. I only watched a bit of it. I wasn't familiar with him at all. And then suddenly I had three days of it just being romesh romish, romish. where the Hilo was in the Sunday Times top 50 podcasts thank you Sunday Times a huge accolade and um, above us was Romesh's podcast, and I thought, oh, I haven't heard of that comedian. And then I went to my sister's house, and she goes, have you heard of this comedian Romesh? And I thought, again. And then I turned on the telly, and it was Romesh, and I thought, the gods are signalling to me. Yeah, he's very funny. Anyway, there's this brilliant bit where his he, he says that his wife is really outraged because one of the, like, fellow mums she knows has shared something on Facebook that's, you know, very, very right-wing about um, Muslim women. She's really offended by this, and mm. she defriends this woman on Facebook, and Romesh goes i friended her right away put that on lad bible (laughs) he said you know my wife bless her um she 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 likes to think that she's down with the browns and so (laughs) she's that was my favorite saying and he's saying you know so she's very defensive of um of of rights of different ethnic groups you know being white and he's like no these people are marvelous i've got endless fun (laughs) he he was very
0: funny about that and what was he like on adam buxton's podcast It's just so funny, I've listened to it about three times now. I think you spend 90%
1: of your time on, just sitting on
0: Adam Buxton's podcast. I fucking love that podcast, and it's gone on holiday. Um, Thank you to the listener, actually. You sound like the person who's like, when is it coming back when we take one week off? Thank you to the listener who, we won't have time to read out, but emailed saying, just to let you know I'm shipping you and Adam Buxton, the high-low in Adam Buxton. And she keeps tweeting and being like, hey, ever thought about going on the high-low? I know Um, we need to make that happen I know anyway it's a really really good episode it made me laugh loads there were so many good parts they talk about how Ramesh is criticised for often focusing his comedy on race they describe the moment they first met in Sweden, which is hilarious. Where they thought they were both playing this like packed-out stadium, and then they were led to this corridor, and they were playing the corridor. And they put some chairs in the corridor, and Romesh was like, "We didn't know each other that well, but it was quite obvious that it was, it was like something's gone experience. badly wrong here." And then there's this bit that made me laugh so much. I'd like to insert it now, where they're talking about criticism from people on the internet. Like, I did an episode the other day. I won't say who it was with, but it was someone I really like, and I thought it was a fun episode, and we were just chatting away, and we were drinking tea, uh, only for, like, five minutes towards the beginning of the episode. And someone tweets and goes, I had to stop listening to that episode after about ten minutes because I couldn't stand the disgusting sound of you eating. Grim. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> I mean I just say if you've got a complaint I don't want to hear it I was walking to a gig past a pub and a guy said Romschwang and Nathan I said yeah and he said I've got to tell you mate drunk history I went yeah and he goes you ruined it <laughs> he you goes now. you were just so aggressive he goes I just couldn't watch it he goes I had to tell you and I said to him I would make a strong and compelling argument that you didn't <laughs> <laughs> but thanks anyway. Just one thing you said that I found very interesting when you said that Romesh is criticized for often focusing on race. If he didn't focus on race or talk about race in in his comedy, he would be absolutely lampooned for not using the opportunity as a non-white man in the media to talk about his experience as a non-white man. And I use non-white rather than Sri Lankan because it is anything that is not the WASP norm. Mm. So if he didn't do it, he'd get criticised for that. And also, another point that you have to remember is that... It's not very easy for white people to talk about race because we really don't have any platform in which we're speaking from experience, or you know, we can't do it, and we shouldn't really do it. No. So if if he's now being told he can't, who the fuck can do it? Exactly. And comedy, as we've talked about before, is an incredibly powerful vehicle for often you know, serious, weighty topics that can sting a bit, can make you feel a bit. You know, I bloody love Michael McIntyre. Do not get me wrong. But that is not comedy that seeps into your bones. Mm, mm. And and that's great. That is great. That is unifying family comedy. I love it when he rolls around on stage and, you know, waddles around in his suit and slides down fireplaces and all that. That's great. But I think Ramesh is doing
0: something different. And quite rightly so. And incredibly useful. It's a ridiculous criticism and I'm glad that he approached it on the episode.
1: Well, let's listen to his podcast as well.
0: Yes, us To you, listeners. What have you been filling your time with in your mini retirement?
1: Well, aside from looking through 90 pages of vintage bamboo furniture, and when I've come to the end of 90 pages, retyping into the search engine rattan furniture, and when I've come to the end of that, going back to the search and typing in cane furniture, turns out there's myriad names for things you only thought there was one. I have been reading, I've actually done what I really hate doing, which I used to do when I was little, of reading tons of books at once, which does not show efficient discipline. Um, but I have <laughs> I've been dipping into blink by malcolm gladwell which came out a long time ago but i just thought it was really awful that i've never read this really seminal book by I've him i've never because read any malcolm gladwell why have neither of us read I don't he's, know. An, he's having a real i think it's because of podcasts he's got his own podcast he's on the new yorker's podcast anyway blink you'd really like it doll is a really easily digestible but smart my favorite kind of book um, sort of hypotheses about how we actually make really valuable decisions in an instant. Mm. And we're always told to go and have a think about it or, um, you know, come back to it. And actually, he says that's not always right. And he uses some really interesting um, examples, like when there's a museum that thought they had these incredibly uh, valuable antique Greek statues, but that all the experts that saw it had a second of something's not quite right and then going oh yeah no it's great mm. and they eventually realized all of them that they should have trust that split judgment instead mm. of you know looking for um reasons and or theorizing. evidence or exactly yeah. theorizing so blink was really interesting so it's about
0: instinct really it's about
1: instinct and he talks as well to a scientist who can tell within 10 minutes of watching a couple if they're going to get divorced in 15 years or not oh, wow. which is very interesting and then I've also been reading a reissued copy of the Vagina monologues. Never read that. The twentieth I mean I, what we're both realising is we are incredibly poorly read in
0: the grand scheme. No, we are. <laughs> we are there are huge well I've huge am. gaps for huge me. Gaps, yeah, I'm yeah. just
1: going back to it now actually. For example, when I watched The Gorgeous Little Women I bought Little Women because I've never read it. And <gasps> then I bought Anne of Green Gables because I've never read it. Yeah. Um, did you like the adaptation of Little Women?
0: By the way? It was okay. My heart will always belong to the Winona Ryder version, which is one of my favourite films. Oh,
1: I loved it. I loved Maya Hawke, Ethan Hawke and Uma Thurman's daughter, who played the lead role of Jo. I thought she was oh luminous. Oh, my God, that's who she is. do you think she was really gorgeous?
0: She is beautiful. And I she was she a was very really good, good actor. As
1: was Anya Taylor-Joy in The Miniaturist
0: didn't watch The Miniaturist. You would
1: love that. Brilliant. Anyway, sorry, that's my Christmas My Christmas TV recommendations. I know we're talking about the vagina monologues and I'll go back to that in a minute, but my Christmas TV recommendations, which you can still catch up on, would be The Miniaturist, Little Women, and one that's just started, which is brilliant, starring James Norton, McMafia.
0: Oh, I haven't watched McMafia.
1: Absolutely... So good about okay. a Russian family living in London and James Norton plays the um, son of the British brought up son of, of essentially a man that's very, very rich from Russia. And he's trying to keep on the good path, but it becomes increasingly difficult for him. To I love James come to Norton. Anyway, so I've read a little bit of the Vagina Monologues. It was written by Eve Ensler twenty years ago, and she went on to perform it all over the world. And other people have performed it. So the actress Kerry Washington is quoted on the back saying, "This play changed the world. Seeing it changed my soul. Performing in it changed my life." And there were a few bits that I found really interesting. So it's the monologues are um, in sort of. Different characters from different times, different places and interspersed with vag facts, as I like to call them. <laughs> and This is a really interesting vagina fact. It's called Vagina Fact. In the 19th century, girls who learned to develop orgasmic capacity by masturbation were regarded as medical problems. Often they were treated or corrected by amputation or miniature chastity belts. But there are no references in the medical literature to the surgical removal of testicles or amputation of the penis to stop masturbation in boys. In the United States, the last recorded clitoridectomy for curing masturbation was performed in 1948 on a five-year-old girl. Interesting, oh isn't my it? God. And i got another vag fact for you.
0: <clears throat>
1: the clitoris is pure in purpose. It is the only organ in the body designed purely for pleasure. The clitoris is simply a bundle of nerves, 8,000 nerve fibres. That's a higher concentration of nerve fibres than is found anywhere else in the body and is twice the number in a penis. Who is needs, it? Who needs a handgun when you've got a semi automatic? <laughs> and then, Sassy. lastly, one little character study that I wanted to read called the flood i'm gonna attempt a queen's accent here. oh go on so this is just a line an old woman talking about how no one should visit her vagina and she doesn't like talking about her vagina you get sick suffocating nauseating the smell of the clamminess the mildew smells unbearable gets in your clothes <laughs> and then it ends with i told you it's not like that it's not a person who speaks It was a thing that stopped talking a long time ago. It's a place you don't go. It's closed up. It's down there. You happy? You made me talk. You got an old lady to talk about her down there. You feel better now? You know, actually, you're the first person I've ever talked to about this. And I feel a little better. Very good. (laughs) Anyway, it's just really, really interesting. Um you know, hearing from different women about relationships with their v- vagina and it was a really seminal play. Yeah. Eve Ensler, yeah. in her foreword to this book talks about when she's gone to different places around the world and women have fainted and when they've come round they've said what has emerged that she never realised is vast swathes of women very topical for now talking about sexual abuse they suffered Mm. so feeling empowered to use the word vagina made them reveal that they had been raped or anyway she had just these vast amounts of women who felt in some way like the vagina monologues had given them licence to share stories but it's mm-hmm. not that that makes it sound negative it's not as you can tell from that's called the flood and the old lady shut up shop essentially because she said that every time she met a boy she liked when she was younger she'd get a flood in her pants and the boys would be like get out my car i've got nice cream leather and so she sh- so she shut so she shut so sh- everything up so it's very very funny and interesting and still very relevant now and you'd absolutely
0: <laughs> love it i would it. love to read it as said, it you said it's such an important part of Women's history, actually, I think, that book. And
1: isn't it funny? We both would go, oh, yeah, the vagina monologues. Never seen it. Want to see it now. Let's keep our eyes peeled for when it must be performing in London soon.
0: Um, Well, if they have an opening, that was a very good performance. (laughs) (laughs) I also read a couple of great pieces of journalism. I'll link them both
1: in the show notes. A piece on Grenfell Tower in the New Yorker. Now, when I first saw the title of this, I thought, A fuck off New Yorker what are you doing writing about London Mm. surely we've written better commentary why would I want to read this now and secondly I really prickled at the title because it was the lies that Londoners tell each other and I thought we don't lie how dare you we're very (laughs) honest to each other it's a wonderful community and actually it was an incredibly interesting but not remotely turgid piece about how um, our kind of attitude to community is just pretty disingenuous basically In London, if you live in London, you'll be very familiar with this, you'll have amazing £10 million houses on one street and then the next corner you have social housing or housing projects as they call them in the US. And we've always thought that that's quite a sort of symbiotic relationship. And actually, the journalist who is based in London does a very good job of um, explaining why that symbiosis has given us a sort of cover for not building nearly as much council housing as we should have and... People, um, because when Thatcher sold it all off, mm-hmm. corporations had an obligation to build a certain amount and how they got past it. And and he speaks to loads of different Londoners. And the journalist is really, really good. i really, really like to And read it's a that. brilliant piece. I'll put that in the show notes. And another great piece of journalism I read this week was on fashionista.com. And it was a piece, um, it was interviewing various black hairstylists about um, black beauty in the media and I don't really read much about hair and and beauty so this wasn't the kind of piece that I would necessarily chance upon but I'm so glad that I did um the the title is essentially the media's erasure of black women in specific regard to the hair and about how um black hair is fetishized at the moment for example braids and cornrows and how that is diminishing black identity rather than platforming it in a positive mm. and kind of educational way I'll put it in the show notes. It's another really good piece of journalism.
0: We had a really useful email from a listener that I wanted to read out in regards to the letter we read out last year that you may remember about the girl whose MD had written her a very creepy and very shit poem during um, Secret Santa in her office. She says... I'm an employment lawyer and this would absolutely qualify as sexual harassment within the meaning of the relevant legislation. The conduct needs to be taken very seriously as, believe me, his conduct will continue and will likely become worse and more insidious." I've advised on it and experienced it myself. Bizarrely, law firms seem to be among the worst for sexual harassment. (laughs) (laughs) Your advice in regards to contacting ACAS was sound, as were your warnings on HR potentially being useless, as one of your previous listeners cautioned HR is there to protect the company's interests rather than those of its employees. Unless this man is a complete idiot, one hopes not if he's an MD, he will know this behaviour is inappropriate and actually very incriminating if this woman were to ever say anything. Yet he appears to be arrogant enough not to care and to do it anyway. Arguably, this is in itself telling of how he knows the situation will play out should this woman ever go to HR, i.e. in his favour. Perhaps he's even done it before. One thing that's also worth mentioning is that this woman should keep a note of anything that happens with this man in handwritten Mm. form, if possible, with dates and times and as many details as possible. This type of contemporaneous evidence is key should she decide to raise a formal grievance via HR and or if she ever decided to bring a claim. Although bringing a claim seems drastic and like a last resort now, such evidence is pretty incontrovertible and would be crucial during proceedings or for the purpose of negotiating a settlement. That's hugely
1: useful. Thank you. And again, thank you for reminding us on that point about HR. The Hilo doesn't have a functioning HR department but if it did we would be cautionary of the fact that it would be protecting itself and not (laughs) us but no it's really important people think HR is there for them it's fucking not it's to keep Mm. the business operating as a business something else I wanted to bring to your minds this week is that Feminist Celebrity Big Brother oh.
0: has launched um, I've just contesta- put my blinkers on with this
1: with contestants including Anne Widdecombe and Rachel Johnson neither of us have seen it which is quite unlike us and our zeitgeisty ways but what do you think of the concept Hilo listeners a journalist friend of ours said she couldn't decide if it was brilliant or really cringy. and I actually do quite want to watch an episode mainly for Widdy, who I love <laughs> Widdy. And Rachel Johnson, who is, of course, the sister of Bojo and a prominent writer and cultural commentator in her own right. And fun fact, once bought a denim boiler suit from me in one of my Instagram sales. (laughs) How could you possibly know it was her? It might just be another Rachel Johnson. Because she then sent an email that clarified her identity. That's so good.
0: Oh my god, imagine if she wears it in the Big Brother house. Well, uh,
1: my old colleague, Laura Atkinson, the deputy editor of the Sunday Times Style, got very excited and sent me a text, all in capitals, going, oh my god, I think Rachel Johnson's <laughs> wearing a woolly suit. She was actually wearing a just generic navy jumpsuit. But that would have been marvellous. And had she been wearing it, I probably would have insisted that we made this whole thing a topic. <laughs>
0: I totally would have gone for that the gal obviously likes a boiler suit for anyone
1: watching um, who wants to read more about um, feminist celebrity Big Brother in order to make up their mind and instantly there will be men dropped in for game show purposes throughout the series there's a good piece on the debrief which argues that there is nothing feminist or empowering about feminist celebrity Big Brother we've discussed before on the podcast how Big Brother no longer feels revolutionary or cutting edge it isn't an anthropological social experiment anymore it's a hackneyed format that should probably die a death but this piece is interesting for its dissection of how we use feminist terms to actually shore up pre-existing damaging gender cliches for example using the idea that you know feminists speak their mind and they're ballsy and they're outspoken to actually be an excuse for the show to be edited as women being bitchy to Mm. one another Mm. and the piece says there's nothing wrong with putting in a bunch of outspoken women like Johnson and Whittacombe with different views to create debate and drama but don't bloody hail it as a female empowerment when it feels more like a calculated move to show women being argumentative and bitchy Mm. and I think that more so than the show itself is really interesting that actually we aren't changing the representation of women in the public eye we're just using fancy nomenclature to change Mm the way we sell it and I'll link the piece in the show notes and I'll watch an episode before next week so we can yeah, I will talk as well.
0: about it as I tweeted rather cynically when it was announced I imagine this is just what Emmeline Pankhurst always dreamt of <laughs> support for the Hilo comes from Google
1: Pixel 2 Google has been built on asking questions and challenging the status quo from maps to email search and beyond Google has a history of looking at the norm and finding a better way.
0: Each week we are going to do a curiosity challenge where we pose a question to one another which encompasses the Hilo's ethos of covering all things from the personal to the philosophical to the surreal. This week, Panda, my question to you is a fairly hefty one to exercise our minds a bit after the mince pie and uh, roast potato brain-dead lull retirement. Socrates said... Christ! Know thyself! And it is commonly believed that self-understanding and compassion is power and freedom. But what is the most effective way of achieving it, in your opinion? I barely understand your question. So <laughs> self-knowledge. So what's the best way of understanding yourself, do you think?
1: Probably reading how other people understand their selves, if that makes sense. That's
0: a good answer.
1: Because the more I read books that... A focus. So I'm a, re- a really big fan of The Buildings Roman, which is um, novels written about people as they grow up, you know, that sort of maturation journey over mm. puberty. And I love the psychological insights of that. All those kind of books, like the Patrick Melrose novels by Edward St. Auburn, you know, that follow the trajectory of a person. And of a human life. Yeah, now scarred, all of those ones. I think the more you find someone else that thinks like you, the more you understand your own thought processes. So with all my answers, it just comes back to reading. I'm so impressed reading with about that answer. People.
0: That was completely off the cuff. Given I'm that so I did impressed. not understand your question. But also you're right, because the more lives that you immerse yourself in and understand, the more you understand your own. So it's kind of curiosity. Yeah, I don't you think
1: you can have self-knowledge in a vacuum.
0: Yes, exactly.
1: You can't, you have to be informed, and I mean informed, like, empathetically, not informed in, like, the news cycle
0: sense. And there was I thinking you were going to say do a bit of yoga. The Google Pixel 2 is the world's best smartphone, capturing your best ever photos, whether you are in bright light or dark evenings, so starry nights look as good as sunny days. Thank you very much to the Google Pixel 2 and Socrates. Thank you, Socrates. Socrates. It's now time for The Top Line, read by the superior reader Pandora Sykes.
1: Oscar-winning actress Lily Funnock says that we have not turned a corner regarding sexism in Hollywood post-Weinstein. We may have more women working, but every year there's an in-depth study produced about how many women editors, directors, cinematographers and writers there are, and the numbers are still poor. I think we'll have changes, but some of them will be Cosmetic. Storm Eleanor is spreading destruction across northern Europe with three people left dead so far by the fifth storm of the season. Winds reached up to 100 miles per hour in the UK. Fashion photographer Terry Richardson is reportedly being investigated by the NYPD after accusations of sexual assault from multiple women which emerged last year. Sarah Ziff, founder of the Model Alliance, an advocacy organisation for models in the fashion industry, confirmed to website Jezebel that she has offered her assistance to the investigation after the Special Victims Unit contacted the Alliance last month. Our global chocolate supply is under threat. The U.S. National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration is warning that global warming will lead to a marked reduction in suitable cultivation area for cocoa trees within 40 years. In equally arresting news, everyone is talking about the Shed Defender, a specialist leotard for dogs that stops them from <laughs> shedding unwanted hairs in the house and can also lower their anxiety as it covers wounds and protects them from ticks and insects. The dogs are yet to comment. Trump's lawyers have told Steve Bannon that he has defamed the president and therefore broken his non-disclosure agreement. Steve Bannon spoke to Michael Wolff for his upcoming tell-all book Fire and Fury inside the Trump White House. The book makes explosive claims, including that the Trump team were shocked and horrified by his win, that Melania cried on election night and that the president only eats McDonald's because he fears being poisoned. A fourth frozen shark has been found in Cape Cod a shark frozen inside an ice block was found near massachusetts experts have argued that the four sharks found so far were travelling in a group and got caught in the freezing cape cod bay sceptics believe the colder weather is forcing sharks to move south at a faster pace getting stranded in shallow water perhaps it's time for the sharks to buy a shark leotard Jeremy Hunt has apologised to patients this week after 50,000 non-urgent operations were cancelled over the festive period as a result of serious pressures on hospitals. The health secretary said that the NHS was under serious pressure and that this was the busiest time of year, but that the current situation was absolutely not what I want. Meanwhile, Theresa May argued that the NHS has been better prepared for winter than ever before. A prominent Alabama newspaper executive has admitted that he spanked a former employee in the 70s. At least two former employees allege that H. Brandt Ayers, the star's former publisher and current chairman of Consolidated Publishing, spanked women against their will with sexual overtones. Ayers admitted the abuse, but justified it by saying he was trying to calm the employee down on doctor's orders by spanking her. He has refused to step down. One of the world's most famous operas, Carmen, has been given a radically new ending in Italy. Traditionally, Carmen is killed at the end of the opera, but in the new ending she kills her tormentor as a stand against violence towards women. The new version to be shown at Florence's opera house has already sold out we think it's important that the theatre should not be a conservative place of musical culture it should not be a museum it's a place where debate can be initiated carmen was written 150 years ago in a very different cultural context times change says the opera house's paolo clune and that was the top line <laughs>
0: I'm sorry to keep talking about Adam Buxton, but I listened to Catelyn Moran's episode on the flight back yesterday, and she says this incredible thing in it where that relates to that amazing piece of news about changing the plot of Carmen, where she said, culture is the thing that changes the world. Of course. Art is the thing. It's not, you know, fusty people in the House of Commons taking 100 years to change legislation. It's how we see ourselves represented and and that's the thing that changes the world so it's an incredible piece of news i think about carmen and obviously there will be other productions that will show the original but i think it's great that there's that variety also hate sound like a philistine those frozen sharks ready to go damien hurst also, keeping within the realm of art, commentary,
1: and criticism, I cannot wait for Michael Wolf's book. Oh, I know with Steve Bannon, Fire and Fury.
0: I know. I think he's interviewed a great deal of people on the inside, actually.
1: But Steve Bannon was only ousted what a few months ago. I think?
0: Yeah, but these political books—they move so yeah, fast, don't they? Yeah.
1: revealed that one in four women, 27% to be precise, in the UK developed mental health problems whilst pregnant. The research, conducted by leading hospital, King's College London, with gold standard screening during midwife appointments, found that 11% of women had depression, of women had anxiety and 2% had eating disorders whilst others had a combination of problems. These are not inconsiderable stats Mm. and the pregnancy glow myth has come under some serious cultural
0: criticism. Dolly, what do you make of this research? I wasn't actually surprised at all. I think we gloss over so much of the realities of being pregnant and we fetishise the state of pregnancy in a way that I find quite uncomfortable particularly as it's yet another stick to beat women over the head with and make them feel inadequate which we just really already have too many of and I also think it's quite a dangerous lie because certainly I've seen this firsthand with a few women obviously I haven't experienced it myself it's as if we're told that pregnancy is going to be An escape from who we are, as if you can become this entirely different person who is glowing and beautiful and calm and will get lots of lovely attention because she carries this kind of great importance of human life, like her body is sort of holy and sacrosanct. And I think a lot of women I know found the reality actually a really sad shock.
1: There's a really interesting new ish column in grazia actually which really attempts to tackle the myriad forms in which we do fetishize motherhood Mm -hmm. in the media and in culture so it's a column that is inhabited by different women every week and it is dedicated to the experience of motherhood or the absence of so it could be a woman writing about why she never wants children or a woman writing about how much she loves having children so it's not just the um, the act of having children, it's the act of not having children as well, and what a that, great idea, and that feels a lot more rounded actually yeah. as an approach. I was initially shocked by this research, but when it's broken down and you take a minute to digest it all in those varying percentages, I'm not surprised at all, as you say, and as you can imagine, this is really interesting to me on a personal level, a disclaimer, if you will. I've been really reticent to speak or write about my pregnancy. I've written precisely three pieces during my eight month pregnancy, all for Man Repeller, a website where I'm a contributing editor. And there's only been one, a conversation with the site's founder, Leandra, who's also pregnant, which focuses on my actual mental and physical experiences of being pregnant. And I have been asked to write about my pregnancy a lot. I think the reason why I chose to be very selective over what I write and what I post is I'm really conscious of the fact that, as you say, pregnant women are either fetishised but equally stigmatised. I don't like people assuming that my raison d'etre is now to become a mother phrases that make me shudder are mummy blogger and styled the bump on a more serious note as a freelancer i'm not protected with an ironclad hr approved funded maternity leave um, i've had to face some pretty dubious questions about my decision making in that regard and actually even when you are protected by an hr department this comes back to what we were saying earlier about the role of the hr department i've heard of women coming back to half of their job mm. and often it's a female boss at the helm You can see why women get so anxious with all that in mind. And I now, for the first time, understand why so many women do not go back to work after having a baby. I used to think, oh my God, why are they doing this? Why aren't they going back to work and helping us achieve parity and everything like that? But it's so fucking expensive. If you're on a salary of 30 grand or less and you live in London and you don't have child help, then you will likely
0: lose money by returning to work. Anxious making stuff. Totally and as you say when you break it down of course it's a time of a woman's life that could be fraught with anxiety and sadness. I'm not saying that this is all women and I'm certainly not saying the women who do experience mental health difficulties when pregnant regret getting pregnant but I do think pregnancy can be a more challenging time than a lot of women think it's going to be. Bryony Gordon wrote about this very bravely and very usefully in her second memoir Mad Girl. She suffers from OCD which she says was hugely exacerbated by pregnancy She was terrified about what would happen to the baby, about what sort of mother she would be, what sort of person she was, and even got herself into a really dangerous thought pattern where she became obsessed with the fact that the baby might not be her husband's, even though she had absolutely zero evidence to support that.
1: That's really interesting, those comments from Bryony. I don't suffer from mental health problems like poor brian has but i have had experiences with anxiety for most of my adult life and my anxiety has definitely manifested itself in a slightly different way in that i've just moved house and i have become absolutely obsessed with getting everything in the house perfect for mm. when my daughter arrives i've become obsessed with making sure my child cares all set up i've literally tried to plan the next year so my anxiety is less about will i be able to take care of her and what sort of mother I will be, which is probably a more useful funnelled anxiety, and more that I want to get the circumstances around her mm. completely perfect. So I'm I'm really not surprised to hear that it can exacerbate OCD, which is the the, the type of anxiety that I suffer from. I think people will be really surprised by the stats about eating disorders. Um, there's this image of a pregnant woman eating a bowl of ice cream with a big smile on her face
0: that kind of, you know, is really perpetuated throughout the media. Again, I'm not really surprised... Because I think here's the insane thing about how our societal pressures work. We're told we have to be as slim as possible to win the affection of a man and get married. We're told our physicality is sort of, as a woman, your identity and your currency when you're in a patriarchy. And then we're told we have to get pregnant, at which point that entire currency of the perfect body is taken away from us. So I'm not surprised that a lot of women would find that distressing or confusing. I've eaten like a
1: maniac during my pregnancy, but then I ate like a maniac before. The difference is that my metabolism has completely changed. Another big fat pregnancy myth is that you get, you know, big titties and tum and that everything else stays golden. And no, actually everything changes your body stores fat even if you aren't actually eating any more than you were when you weren't pregnant Instantly, another myth you don't need to eat for two mm. that's <laughs> baby needs hardly any more calories as a naturally slim woman who's undeniably benefited from society's well entrenched slim women's privilege and i won't deny that for a second most things look good when you're a size eight to ten mm. i had a pretty easy life in that regard it has been a revelation navigating a larger body and it's not always a comfortable one I've had to get used to my boobs rubbing my belly my thighs rubbing together my ankles swelling I can totally see why pregnancy might make some women develop disordered eating of course disordered eating is not just about body image you don't develop a disorder because you are fatter or pregnant but I can see the combination of a radically altered self image coupled with a vastly hindered physicality with the added anxiety of loneliness and being pregnancy can probably all calcify into something quite dangerous which then pervades after you give birth Mm. i know of various women who got really thin post-baby after their pregnancy diet which wasn't obviously just about shedding pounds it was connected with rediscovering their identity pre-baby got
0: really out of hand yeah and also beyond it not feeling like your body you can't use it in the same way particularly (laughs) every woman's pregnancy is different but I know a woman who she adores her baby she loves being a mother but when she was pregnant she told me that she found the pregnancy to be a total thief of her identity she was incredibly debilitatingly sick from start to finish also I only now know this now a few of my close friends have been pregnant there are so many insane physical side effects that nobody talks about (laughs) which meant her work really suffered She couldn't exercise, which is something she loved. She couldn't have sex with her husband because she completely lost her libido. Everything she loved doing, she basically had to stop doing for nine months.
1: I'm going to be really honest here because there's no point in us talking about this and me not being honest given that it's something I am currently in the throes of. I definitely thought I'd find being pregnant easier, quote unquote, than I have. I'm really impatient and at this point I am willing my last seven weeks just to hurry up. Nine months is a fucking long time to feel like your life is on hold, which for me It has felt like I can't do the things I want to do. I can't work the way I want to work. I can't travel the way I want to Mm. travel. Um, I Instagrammed a picture, I think, yesterday. um, I've also lost concept of time. Saying that (laughs) I missed seeing what my vagina looks like. It could be wearing a new hat or a natty pair of shiny shoes and I wouldn't have a clue. And obviously that was a joke, (laughs) but it only loosely masks how I feel, which is I'm really over feeling and seeing only half of myself, a big part of that is that I found the attached scrutiny of being pregnant really aggravating. I get very enraged by the commentary on my body. I've had all of the following comments. Is your bump big or small? I don't know. Is your bum big or small? Look how big you are. Yes, I'm eight months pregnant. Gosh, I'm so sorry to say this, but I thought you were due earlier than that. Then why did you say it?
0: Are you loving it? You look like you're loving it. Yes, why don't you go and have a fifth glass of wine? I would hate that and that's another added anxiety because as a non-pregnant woman when i don't want people to look at me which is quite a lot which is also why i live in camden fyi because it's full of fruit loops i just pull on a massive jumper over my weird leggings wrap a scarf around me and then stomp around but there's no avoiding a gaze and and comments when you're heavily pregnant
1: and i'm not saying they're meant with malice Often when I say to my husband, "God, I wish you know," Sanso hadn't commented on my body. I, I was feeling quite insecure about it today, and he says, "It's all meant in you know, it's all meant in good faith." And I say, "I know. I'm not. I'm not saying it was made in bad." Regard. I'm just saying that I don't enjoy it. I know some women really love pregnancy. Some of my really good friends really enjoy pregnancy. And I don't want to dismiss the pregnancy glow myth as some women, again, have said that they felt like their hair and their skin felt fucking amazing. And, and also
0: some people feel really great happy. sex. Yeah,
1: exactly. And I have not felt miserable in my pregnancy. I just don't love being pregnant. I would not choose to be pregnant over not being pregnant. I see pregnancy as a conduit, a means to an end, the end being receiving the daughter (laughs) that my husband and I created. And I don't regret that for a second. But I have not at any point at all, except possibly for one night only at the British Fashion Awards, because I really loved that red dress I wore, felt glowy. What I have felt is really sore. I have pain in my coccyx every time I sit down, my vagina, yup, turns out that pelvic pain sits right front on your fanny sometimes, and a trapped nerve in my leg, which makes me limp after more than 15 minutes of walking. I've had bleeding nipples, I've had terrible skin because hormones make all sorts of bonkers things happen. When I bend over or lie down, I throw up a bit in my mouth because that's acid reflux. As someone who naturally suffers from anxiety, I've had intense periods of anxiety, normally towards the beginning of my pregnancy. I mean, I'm really lucky I'm freelance so that I can bed down when I feel all of that becoming too uncomfortable I'm also deathly tired because you're encouraged to sleep on your left side for various boring biological reasons and for 30 years I've slept on my tummy so yeah while I don't dismiss the pregnancy glow myth after that forensic
0: list of um, (laughs) complications I do believe it largely to be a myth well I think it's really important to talk about those complications and I don't think we're scaremongering about pregnancy or dismissing that a lot of women love it clearly I know fuck all about it having never been pregnant and I do know, you know, my mother said she loved being pregnant. So did my mother. But I have seen a lot of women who've had a less enjoyable time for nine months and who feel like they can't talk about it because that would make them seem like an inadequate mother or woman and there's only one palatable version of pregnancy and culture really which is that it brings joy to your life. So I think it's really important that we bring all different other experiences of pregnancy and childbearing to light
1: this may sound really trivial but I've spoken to women who work both in and out of fashion and again this is something that's not really talked about because I really think there's this fear and I do completely understand it because I know women who have not been lucky enough to have their own children and I having really wanted their own children of course plenty of women also don't and that is absolutely your choice and more power to you but I know women who haven't been able to have children and so it feels like to complain about these short-lived trivial experiences is to really denigrate the the pain that they're going through. But I think that we need to find a way in, in order to represent how women are feeling without someone else's um, feelings being, you yeah. know, uh, denigrated or eviscerated. And so this may sound trivial, but I really miss my wardrobe. I have all these beautiful clothes and shoes that I can't wear. And I have essentially given up on getting dressed. I wear the same stretchy black H&M dress every single day it's got a hole here and I'm still wearing it my husband told me he was really worried about my hygiene because he was like wow you're wearing that dress again <laughs> <laughs> or I wear the same oversized ray polo neck jumper every single day and I definitely think this probably contributes to the slight lack of identity in that my style lethargy probably extends to the lethargy I might feel about myself in general although to be honest I think for me how my identity is most impacted is by how uncomfortable I am. I'm a really energetic, sociable, you know, I walk to all my appointments because I fucking hate doing any other exercise. So, I, I'm you know, I'm on the move a lot. And at the moment, the only place I'm actually comfortable is on the sofa at home. And I feel a lot of
0: guilt about that. Just as a side note, I've actually really loved the oversized knits of your pregnancy. And please <laughs> feel free to pass those on. Um, and yes, you do just have to go with that, but I understand why that would make you feel guilty or not really yourself.
1: It's something that's slowly, slowly being written about more. In the last episode, or the episode before last, of the Hilo, I read out a poem I loved by Holly McNish, who published a diary and poems about pregnancy called Nobody Told Me. Um, and that rings true, as there's a lot when you're reading it of, Christ, I had no idea. And as you say from Friends, and which I've certainly experienced, I had no idea about the myriad symptoms. I, had, mm. I mean, I had no idea about... You know, I knew that your nipples could hurt once you had a baby. I didn't know they'd hurt before you had a baby. I mean, the list is endless because every single woman's body is different. Mm. We talk a lot about postnatal depression in our society. Giovanna Fletcher and Brani Gordon, as you say, have both been really illuminating on this in the media, and quite rightly so. But we don't talk a lot about the transitory incubatory period, and maybe we should
0: start doing so more. Do let us know your stories. You can email us at show at gmail.com.
1: I wouldn't change this experience for the world. I really, really love my baby already and I really, really want my baby. But I've said it once and I'll say it again. If my husband could carry this baby, I would make damn sure that he was pregnant and not me. <laughs> Support for The Hido comes
0: from Treatwell, our shiny, sexy new sponsor and the brighter way to book beauty. Using Treatwell is simple and easy. You can browse online or on the app to find your nearest salon all across the UK and Ireland too, using hundreds of reviews to help you pick the best place for you.
1: Treatwell is the smart way to book your glam time, as Kim Kardashian and perhaps Dolly Alderton would say. And if you book off peak, sneaking out of the office on, say, a quiet Tuesday afternoon, or last minute, you can save up to 50% off your booking. Whether you're booking a hair appointment, nails, a wax, chin for me maybe a fanny wax for you Dolly Treatwell is the one for you because no one wants to be overheard by their boss booking a Brazilian wax in the office
0: I actually have found that very good with the Treatwell app that you can do it um, discreetly download the Treatwell app or go to treatwell.com to book your treatment now personally I'm off for a massage thank you very much to Treatwell it's the month of new year new me (laughs) Fitness First are offering special sign-up deals. I should know. Abs in the Camden branch is currently phoning me more than my own mother. Pret has launched a new vegan range and social media is cluttered with pledges of a month-long sobriety. As usual, there's a huge backlash of commentary claiming that this is a faddish sign of our times, pathetic that people should stop living in a fantasy of who they want to be and accept who they are. What do you think, Pandora?
1: I can be a bit cheerier on this topic than the last because I find these zeitgeisty cultural trends so funny. I wrote a piece for The Spectator last year which I'll link in the show notes because I'm arrogant like that where I lambasted Higgy and Lagom and I feel the same way about Dry January and Veganuary and Stoptober. Movember I'll allow as it has roots and charity. I've never done any of the above but I suppose I am inadvertently taking part in Dry January by accident this year. But that's just because I've been dry now for seven months. I feel parched
0: on that front. I can only imagine. (laughs) I'm actually really bored of the new year, new me backlash. I'm doing a backlash to the backlash. A hot take to the hot take. Exactly. I think in the past I've probably been one of those faintly patronising people who's taken the piss out of people who try and make themselves a kind of brand new version after Christmas. But in reality... I do always have an urge to start afresh in the new year and I think that's a really cool thing to do as long as you're not ramming it down other people's throats or acting morally superior for going on a health kick or making any kind of changes in your life. The older I get, the more I applaud the vulnerability and bravery and boundless positivity it takes a human to identify something about themselves they'd like to change and then have the energy and endurance and attitude to try and change it. I agree with that
1: sentiment entirely. I just hate the bloody monikers for everything. I think we kill something when we name it or turn it into a buzzy lifestyle trend look what we've done with avocados you can't order a bloody avocado now before 6 p.m without feeling really ashamed <laughs> my husband noted yesterday that there's nothing more depressing in the world than a pub in january and that's coming from a man
0: who loves pubs so it's obviously a persuasive movement the new year knew me i think what a big part of the backlash is about is that it's not nice to be made to feel inadequate and that's what a lot of January advertising and common discussion is all about that you are not good enough as you are you have to turn into a different person and I don't want anyone to feel that about themselves but I also think that we can go the other way in shaming people who want to better themselves be it in their mind or in their body and the fact is we live in our bodies we don't live in our minds when we do live in our minds as I know that's when things can get complicated and difficult so it's good to feel good in the physical home that carries you and I'll be honest I currently feel shit in mine I hate drinking all the time my body can't handle it anymore my skin is terrible from all the sugar I've eaten and I'm absolutely craving some you know moving around and sweating a bit and some early nights and some hangover free mornings and I don't think there's anything wrong with that
1: I'd argue that advertising doesn't just make you feel shit about yourself in January, it makes you feel shit about you. It's the oh, basic yeah, premise, yeah, premise yeah, to advertising. Exactly. Should we raise a toast, a non-alcoholic toast, to both feeling shit in our physical <laughs> homes, to being in a bodily cul-de-sac, a skin-filled high-rise? Here's to feeling Georgian by spring.
0: I was going to say, well, mine's more self-inflicted than yours, but actually yours is pretty self-inflicted too. <laughs> it is! <laughs> Um, I'm doing dry January this I I.e. not drinking. I'm not drinking. And I'm already looking at my diary over the next few weeks and anticipating who is going to give me a hard time about it. And that's annoying because, as discussed in our intro, I'm a people pleaser. So I know I'll feel tremendous guilt if someone accuses me of ruining the night or not being fun or making them feel bad about themselves if I don't down a bottle of Prosecco. I think... Because we're at the very early stages of an amazing body positivity movement, a lot of fitness goals or weight loss can be lumped together and named a sort of oppressive Mm. act. And sometimes it is. I've certainly been there where I'm trying to make myself more attractive or lovable or accepted or desirable through kind of... Very, very disciplined eating or exercise, and that is a, a pretty horrible act of self sabotage, I think. But it's also a very nuanced thing. Not everyone who decides to go to the gym four times a week is oppressed or has low self esteem. Case in
1: point is Ollie, who goes to the gym every single day, and that man has more self confidence than <laughs> I don't know,
0: Nigel Farage. That is true. But better politics. Personally, I want to feel more energised and comfortable. And as cheesy as it sounds, I want to feel kind of match ready for the year ahead. So that's why I'm going to be off the booze and hopefully up earlier and out in the fresh air more and eating as many tuna steaks as my weekly budget will (laughs) afford. And I think we should just let bloody everyone do what they bloody want.
1: I would never give you a hard time about doing dry January, particularly now. But I do question why it has to be all or nothing. I think that's the problematic thing about it in society is that you're either like on or off the wagon. Mm. I personally prefer a moderate approach but then that's just a very annoying thing for me to say isn't it?
0: No I don't think it's annoying at all I think it's uh, very sensible and moderation is always key that's you know that's the key to lifestyle happiness I think but some people case in point find it harder than others. Well our our upcoming question. Yeah exactly and also for some people I think it's important after a month of overindulging in December to exercise restraint so to remind themselves it doesn't feel like a dependency Mm. also you're a fine one to talk about extremities not a sip of booze in eight months. Well actually that's not entirely true because for the first five weeks when I didn't realise I was
1: pregnant baby came to Ibiza and Mykonos and definitely enjoyed a drink or two (laughs) without me (laughs) realising It's now time for Ask the Hilo Really interesting one this week, as I said completely relates to um, what we were just talking about in moderation. Subject is cleaning up hot mess in 2018. Dearest Pandora and Dolly, I'm a 28 year old woman with a good job. I pay my bills on time, I eat well, I stay close with my family, etc. I don't drink regularly, but maybe once every few months I have a big night out. This year, however, my big nights seem to have had bigger consequences. Normally I'm rather shy, but when I drink I become loud. I overshare sex tales and I hit on men. At a work function earlier this year, I made out with a female colleague like I was 18. I didn't get in trouble, but another colleague warned me afterwards that I shouldn't have done it. Just this week, I went out with some other colleagues. I hit on an older single male colleague, who's 55, and though he was friendly and unfussed by my behavior, he knocked me back. In my younger years, I loved to party. I hooked up with men, women, vomited nightclub toilets. But I feel guilty now, and I'm worried it's my wild ways that are stopping me from settling down. Can you help me unpack this guilt? Should I stop going to work functions? I don't want to hurt my career. I've been lucky so far to not get into more trouble. Please help,
0: love hot mess. Oh, darling hot mess, I have been you. Two points I'd like to say. The first is don't under any circumstances get that drunk at work functions. Just don't do it. Just don't do it because those people aren't your friends. Um, They're not going to be as forgiving and understanding of who you are and where you're coming from and why you get that drunk. And also I think with work... With groups of work friends, there's an element of schadenfreude with that stuff because... Well, if
1: you lose your job, someone else in the company gets it. But
0: you're also just really relieved it ain't you because every time... It's, it's something fun to gossip about and anyone can feel insecure at a work do or a bit uncomfortable like they don't know anyone and get too pissed and act like an idiot. So I think the reason gossip happens so much is everyone's just so happy that it wasn't them. So that's not a very... That's not a nice... Arena to be in, especially if you feel like you don't trust your behaviour when you're drunk. So just have one drink or just don't drink at all.
1: I'm completely with you on that. I am really personally strict about not getting wasted at work functions. Obviously now with the high low, um, I'm quite happy to annihilate myself in front of dollies so That's not a problem. <laughs> but um, I've often had people quite surprised at how sort of prissy I can be mm. about that. I can honestly say that I have never ever embarrassed myself or been in a state at a work do, and that's not to say I haven't. Embarrassed embarrass myself elsewhere but I see a massive great boundary like that I will always remember when I was interning at a magazine seven years ago and at the Christmas party one of the I'm trying to be generic about this one of the employees got so drunk the editor had to take her home and in the morning she in the middle of the night she wandered in to the editor's room so drunk you know, the next day she had to borrow a pair of knickers to come into work. Mm. I doubt she ever got over that. The mm. editor was really lovely about mm. it. Not all editors would have been. Mm. Um, and we work in the media, so it's kind of accepted. But I have to say, reading your email, I I, I don't say this lightly, but I think you have cause to be concerned. I don't think your behaviour is acceptable. I agree that you're lucky you haven't got in more trouble before. And that's not to make you feel guilty. I'm sure you're a bloody lovely person, but I think it's great that you are acknowledging that this could be a problem yeah. and that this could derail you from the career you dreamed of and that there are so many ways of taking back control, feeling more positive about your behaviour, feeling more positive mm. in your career. Not only does the NHS have brilliant counsellors that you can speak to about alcohol issues. I, Someone very close to me um, has recently gone through that with the NHS and had a really positive experience. There are steps that you can take within yourself to try and combat that, um, and I think you're right to acknowledge it. And I and I'm I'm happy for you that this has come, not because. HR, HR again. This is sponsored by HR this episode. It's it hasn't come because HR have sat you down and said, You've got a problem, your job is at risk. It's you've come taken from you, responsibility yourself. Yes. And as you said, you've enjoyed some wild you've enjoyed some wild days, the kind of days that makes my mum shake her head and go, young women these days. You know, the <laughs> men the men, the women, and the vomiting in toilets. But you know, you've you've had your fun times and you recognise them for that. But now as a woman in a career and you've already got a bloody hard time being a woman, anyway. I mean, it's harder, isn't it? Mm. You just don't want anyone to make you feel lesser than you are. And unfortunately, alcohol in the way it makes us behave is a very good vehicle for people having something over you, yeah. and you feeling like less of the person than you you clearly are. You sound like a wonderful person.
0: Yeah, and I think as as Pandora said, first of all, just just it's a non negotiable with the work thing. Just if you know that's how you get, just stop drinking. But on a wider point. You know, I would argue the way that you kind of framed this is that you're a wild girl who loves to party and have fun. I'm not buying that, I'm afraid. And I, I'm i I'm someone who I've pushed that as a party line as well. There have been times where I've made out with girls and lose and been sick in places I don't want to be sick in. Revelation. And it's been, it's been super fun because I'm not doing it to escape myself or because I feel kind of... Um, like there's a gap between who I am and who I want to be and it's not coming from a place of insecurity you can be hedonistic and wild and have fun the minute you have a sense of self-worth and actually you won't really be vomiting everywhere and making out with girls and lose when you're pissed because that's that's not reflective of who you want to be you know I woke up on New Year's Day morning with an awful hangover but absolutely zero regrets because... I was in a happy, safe, comfortable place with people I loved being myself when I was drinking. The thing is here is not about the drinking, it's about your self-worth. So until you have your self-esteem in check and you feel happier about who you are, I would stop drinking because what's going to happen is you're going to keep waking up in the morning and feeling a disparity between who you are when you're sober and who you are when you're drunk and that's just going to engender great shame. So you may have more wild days ahead of you but for now I think focus on knowing who you are and feeling more happy with that
1: thank you so much to everyone who wrote into the Low. you can email us thehiloshow at gmail.com you can tweet us at thehiloshow please do rate review and subscribe on iTunes and thank you very much to Acast for letting us use your studio Bye-bye. bye bye yeah. bye bye